All right, let's get after it. Uh, welcome to Capo Podcast. I am your illustrious host, and I feel like I've once again kind of left you guys hanging for for a while. Um, last time, last uh, last episode, I felt like I went back and listened to it, and I felt like I was talking really close in the microphone quietly. I was trying to let my kids sleep, but uh, I'd had a couple drinks. It was my birthday, and I it almost sounded like an NPR episode, and so I'm going to try not to sound kind of creepy and and like too close to the mic and asleep and drunk this time. Um, this episode is going to be uh, not a book. I do have a book for you guys to read because it is August. We're going to do another book club at the end of this month, and the book that we are going to read is, drumroll or something, or no drumroll, I don't know, I don't have a drum, but I will say, um, I was going to do 1984 right on the heels of Animal Farm, but uh, I don't want to do that one yet. I want to I wanna give everybody time. I feel like if I tell you guys a few months in advance that we're going to do 1984, if I give you more than a couple weeks, I feel like you might actually read 1984. So I've decided that this month what I'm going to do is another Cormac McCarthy, McCarthy novel. I'm going to do The Road, which is an apocalyptic, uh, horrifying novel from 2005 that Cormac McCarthy wrote. And uh, I don't know, it might be fitting. We're sitting, we're all sitting out there on the edge of World War III, it seems like. Uh, It is August 2nd today, and Nancy Pelosi landed in Taiwan, even though the Chinese said, no, you don't do that. It's uh, it's getting a little weird out there. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't think anything's going to happen. Because, uh, I, I don't know, Pelosi makes so much money from the Chinese, and so does everybody else in Washington. I don't really see them kicking off some sort of war with China, but who knows? It's a, It's been a weird couple years since the old China virus came through. Um, so, we'll, I don't know, we'll just have to see. But what we're going to read is The Road by Cormac McCarthy. It's relatively short. You should have time to read it over the next two to three weeks so that you can be prepared for the summary and analysis of it. Um, It is a little bit like Blood Meridian. It is not an easy book to slog through. It is a hard book to read. And I, I think it's kind of poetic in that way because the story that takes place within the book is also bleak and gray and horrifying for the characters. And I'm not going to get into any more detail than that. This is one of those I want you to actually go read. It won some awards. They made a movie out of it with Viggo Mortensen, which was pretty good um, and should give you a, it gives you a decent idea, but the movie is way tame compared to the book. So, end of the month, The Road, that's what we're going to do. That is the book club for the month of August. This episode, this week's topic, is something I've been meaning to do for a while, but I keep talking myself out of actually doing this episode. And I keep talking myself out of it because, believe it or not, I really don't like to make people mad or upset with me. 
And I say that like, I don't care if people online, you know, people online are mad at me or people I don't know. That doesn't really bother me, but I don't like people I know, friends of mine or, or relatives or people in my community. I don't like the idea of, of upsetting them. And ever since I quit teaching, I've been saying I'm going to do an episode on the education system and why I quit teaching and why I think you should homeschool your kids. And I know for a fact that this episode is going to, it's going to make people mad. I mean, it, it made people mad when I, when I left the school. Um, I left a letter of resignation with the school board. I didn't share it publicly. I didn't talk about it to very many people, but, uh, it, uh, it ruffled some feathers on the school board and the letter got around anyway, even though it was only meant for the people on the school board. But, um, I feel like it's, it's worth telling everyone else, or at least you, my, my thousands, millions of adoring fans. It's not that many, but it's at least tens of you. So it's, it's worth talking about. Um, and you don't, you don't have to agree with me on this. You, I mean, you're wrong if you do, but you don't have to. And so I want to preface the episode or the, the topic that we're going to talk about by saying that I have several friends dear friends that are in the education system, that are still teaching, that are good teachers and good people. Um, my sister-in-law is still a teacher. Uh, me and my brother were both teaching and no longer are. And like I said, before I go into the reasons why I quit and why I think that everyone, even in small-town America, should seriously consider homeschooling their kids, I want to preface this preface this by saying I'm not going after those happy few that I know that are good teachers and good people. I'm not, I'm not coming after them. But when you talk about homeschooling your kids, when you talk about, when you tell other people they should homeschool their kids, there's this natural urge. If you are a teacher, if you're somebody who's, who's devoted your life to it, who has made a career of it, there's, you know that if everybody decides they're going to homeschool your kids, your job is going to be in jeopardy. So there's this natural reaction to, to people saying this that is reactionary of how dare you say that? Don't you know that this is my livelihood? And my answer to that is yes, I understand that it is the livelihood of many people, especially, especially in small town kind of rule America, the school and Beavers, one of the largest, uh, employers in town. And I, I understand that, but, and this is a, this is the, but that gets me in trouble. Um, I think that overall it's more important to at the very least examine what the public school system and the culture at large is becoming and ask the question of whether or not this is the best system for educating children. And if you can't already tell, the conclusion I've come to is it's absolutely not. And even conservatives in small town America, when you, when you say something like that about the education system, it makes them cringe a little bit. 
And I think this is because the conservatives are hardwired to conserve things. And the public education system is something that's been around for a very, very long time. So there's this knee-jerk reaction to try to hold on to it, to try to save it, to try to, to keep it and attack people who attack it because there's this need to conserve it. And it, it doesn't make any sense from a philosophical level because the education system has always been a, a not really conservative thing. The... the public education system as it stands today is a product of the big progressive movement of America in the early 1900s going into the you know early to mid 1900s it's a it's a progressive system by design it's not a conservative system um so there's that portion but just a little background of where i'm coming from here i taught for four years. And I taught high school English literature. I taught philosophy. I taught political science. Um, and my degree is actually in history. And I weaved a little bit of history into my lessons, but I taught high school English lit for the most part, uh, freshmen through seniors for the most part. I taught a little bit of junior high, hated every second of that. Um, I don't know. I'll explain that here in a little bit, but uh, but mostly high school English literature, and I I never really planned on teaching. In fact, when I was in college, my advisor told me he said, "You, if you're getting a degree in history, you might as well get the history education degree. That way, if you decide to teach, you will be able to teach." And my answer to that was like. Well, I'm not going to be a teacher. I don't want to teach. I don't like kids. So I'm just going to get a straight history degree. Instead of taking education classes, I'm going to take higher level history classes. I toyed with the idea of grad school, but uh, I passed up on that. But uh, I guess my first thing is what I noticed in college is that the people who were history ed did not take the kind of highest level history classes. Instead, when we were all taking the highest level history classes, the rest of the history kids were taking education classes. And that brings to me to kind of my first problem with the education system, is we have made the education degree or the history ed or all the other education degrees where it's specifically focused on education. I believe that that degree and that that approach is a joke. And I think it's a joke because you are focusing on your your expertise in the field of education rather than your expertise in the field that you have chosen, whether it is math, whether it is science, whether it is history or or political science, which isn't actually science. But we are focusing more on oh, you need to know how to teach kids. You need to learn about classroom management. You need to know about all these goofy teaching styles that retarded psychologists came up with. That's more important than getting more involved in your major, in your field. And that's stupid. And I'll tell you why. 
because I was a little nervous when I started teaching because obviously I'd, I'd never taught before. But within the first week, I realized that the the classroom management side of it is nothing. I mean, it was... I, I was already used to talking to people from my old job. Um, I didn't have a, a problem explaining concepts and ideas. I had trained people. I was a manager before I was a teacher at an oil field company. It wasn't all that different from anything else. The only difference was that I was really enjoying all the material I was dealing with. And in that way, it was kind of a dream job um, because... I mean, I get to read classical literature all day and lecture on what it means and philosophy and morality and and intellectual stuff and writing. And I, I was loving it right from the beginning. But the one thing I noticed right off the bat is the you, you don't need to be trained in education to educate people. And I don't know why that kind of has taken over the education system. It You need to be a subject matter expert. You need to know the material you're you're dealing with. And the only other ingredient is you need to be able to express ideas and talk in front of people. That's it. You don't have to know all the the several, you know, this psychologist says this, so this this theory says this. All that's bullshit. Um, If you just approach it with the uh, method of being an expert, or at le- not even an expert, just being aware of the material you're teaching and knowing it inside and out. If you know the material inside and out, and you can express ideas and talk to people, you're going to be fine. So that's my first gripe of, of, many, of many gripes. Um, and the way I got into education in the first place, going back to it not being planned... I had just moved back to Beaver from uh, Edmond, Oklahoma. While we were living in Guthrie, we were working in Edmond. Me and my wife worked for an oil field company in Edmond called CP Energy, and we were both kind of over different departments. We were making pretty good money, and but we were working a lot. We were working eight, you know, nine, ten, twelve-hour days in the office Monday through Friday. And then on Saturday and Sunday, my phone rang every day. I took, I don't know, a hundred, at least a hundred phone calls a day during the week and 50 during the weekends and a hundred to 200 emails on a daily basis that I had to go through. It was a, it was more than a full-time job. It was an all the time job. And when we finally decided to have kids, uh, we decided we didn't want to do it in the city and we didn't want to do it where where we were working jobs where we couldn't focus on our child. And so we decided to move. And I moved first. I moved back to Beaver, and I started renovating the old ranch house that is on the, the headquarters of my parents' place for the, shir- for the short term for me and my wife to live in. And my wife stayed at CP and worked for a little while. And I'd been back about a month or two working on the house and helping Dad on the ranch, when the the superintendent of the school and the principal both asked me what I thought about teaching at the high school. 
They told me I could get an emergency certification, a quote emergency certification, because Oklahoma is always hurting for teachers, and they said that I could uh, I could get an emergency certification and be teaching that year. And I knew the money wasn't good, but I thought that, well, number one, it's a job, and that's great. And number two, it will give me a positive... It'll give me a chance to be a positive impact on my little community because, after all, that's why I moved back in the first place. I wanted to move back to my hometown and be a positive influence on the community I wanted to raise my children in. Um, So that's why I said yes. I wanted to help. It was a way to make money. Uh, I wanted to be a, a, a contributing member to the community And there was, and this is something the teachers, like, I don't know why they don't like to admit this, but I'll admit it, there's a lot of time off, so much time off. And I thought that would be great because it would give me a chance to help out my dad on the ranch. It'll give me a chance to, I was planning on building a house um, at that point, and I was planning on getting into writing again. I wanted to finish my books because at that time I had written book one and book two, but I hadn't started book three yet. And I wanted to finish that, that series. I wanted to get back into writing and I thought this will be perfect. Teaching will be the perfect opportunity to do that. And so I got into it. I loved it. It was as far as just enjoying a job. It was the most fun I've ever had. It was the most enjoyable job I've ever had. So, why did I quit? Well, I didn't quit because I didn't like it, of course, because I liked it. Um, I decided to quit because it took me only a couple years to decide that I was going to homeschool my children. And I went into the public school system knowing that there were problems. Because anything that is run by the government has problems. And the problems that I saw right off the bat were this. There was a lack of accountability all around. There was a lack of accountability for teachers. There was a lack of accountability for students. There was a lack of accountability for the parents of students. Um, The administration of the school was way more concerned for the, the underachieving kids, the bad kids, the DNF students. They were way more concerned for those students and their sob stories and their sad home lives than they were for the regular kind of decent kids or, God forbid, the higher achieving kids, the smart kids. And if you don't believe me on this, and this is the part that's going to piss people off, I'm sure, uh, I have had administrators, and there's more than one administrator, tell me to my face that we have to focus more, uh, more if not most, of our attention on DNF students. One of them actually said to me that the smarter kids can just read the book and understand it anyway, so they're going to learn no matter what. So if you've got a, a decent or gifted kid, you know, get bent, because we're too busy with the little druggy lowlife who doesn't want to be here. Uh, We're trying to hold his hand and convince him that high school is important. And uh, after all, his parents are druggy lowlifes too, so they're not going to do it. So the school has to do it. 
So we're, we're sorry that your kid is bored because the class is too easy. Little Johnny has a third grade reading level. And even though he's in junior English now, your kid has to sit there and listen to him suffer his way through reading out loud. Um, but it's okay. Your, your kid's smart, so they'll, they'll just be fine. They'll figure it out um, while the teacher spends most of their energy on Little Johnny. Oh, by the way, thanks for all the tax money that keeps the lights on because, you know, Little Johnny's parents are poor and needy and they don't really pay any taxes. So you're paying for their portion too. So you're doing all that so that the school can ignore your kid and focus on Little Johnny. Because after all, it's it's all about little Johnny because he's poor and he has a sad home life and boo-hoo-hoo. See, I'm already getting wound up about this. Um, but once again, I knew this going in, which is why I've put this off for so long. But uh, no more. We're going to put it out there, I guess. Uh, the second problem, the other problem I had going in. Uh, administration is way more concerned with how the school is perceived and what the grade, what grade the school gets, than they actually are with education uh, or money. They're more concerned with money. They're more concerned with grants. They want to get oh, if we do this and this, we can get a whole bunch of government money, and that'll be great because all our problems can be solved if we just throw money at it. Uh, we need Chromebooks and we need this and we need that because we just need more money, and then the kids will start to learn. And, uh, that's all bullshit too. But, um, of course they aren't going to admit that. They're not going to say that. No, nobody ever says what they really mean, but I was kind of used to that already. All the PC bull crap I was used to, I'd worked in a corporate office. Um, and people in a corporate office are just like that. Nobody says what they really mean. Nobody actually tells the truth because, if you, if you tell the truth, then everybody starts to get offended. Um, and this is back to my old job, like truck drivers, rig hands, pumpers, like working class kind of field people, they can be a pain in the ass sometimes. And some of them are absolute morons, but at the very least, they aren't constantly not saying what they really mean. At least they're honest because people in a corporate office and people in, you know, everywhere else, it seems like, are just so PC that they'll never say what they mean. They'll never tell the truth. They'll just kind of sugarcoat everything or avoid any kind of, you know, un conversations they don't want to have. They, they will just avoid it. And so at least people who are People who speak their minds and tell the truth are are higher in my books. So, for example, this is just one of my experiences. One year I was there, there was this big push and to-do over how many kids we had on the DNF list. And we had this meeting, and it's, oh, hey, guys, there's way too many kids on the DNF list, and this looks bad. Wink, nod. You know, give these kids some free points and change those D's and F's to C's so it will look better. Uh, meanwhile, the administration was all the while f just fretting and flabbergasted that our school's reading and comprehension grades were so dismally low. Here's a hint. The test scores are so low because the kids know they can sit there and do nothing and still get a passing grade. 
This is what I mean when I say there's no real accountability. Um, And this turned into a recurring theme every year I was there. By the last year I was there, it was the same, oh, there's way too many kids failing. And it turned into, if there's a kid failing a class, you have to fill out this special form. You have to write down all the assignments they're missing. You have to come up with an individual plan to get this individual student passing. It's all on you. Um, You need to call their parents every week so they can help you out and get this kid from failing. And my response to that, um, in a PC way, was, you know, here's an individual plan. Maybe the little shithead ought to do his work. I'm pretty sure his deadbeat scumbag parents don't really give a shit, or they would know already what's going on with their grades. Um... And every meeting was all this PC, drum circle, goofy, hippie shit. Like this form is going to actually fix it. Which was very government and bureaucratic. There's this, there's this form and it's going to fix everything. But uh, what I kind of decided by the end is that the purpose for that, the real purpose for that from the administration, is they know if they make it a big enough headache for the teacher to have a kid that's failing... The teacher will finally get fed up with it and say, fine, now, you know, now the kid has a 70%. Now the kid's passing. Get off my back. And that's what it's really about, I decided by the end, because the administration knows that their stupid ass form isn't going to fix anything. Little Johnny's druggy parents aren't going to help out. Little Johnny's not going to miraculously turn it around and start passing his classes. But if you make it a big enough headache for the teacher the teacher will just pass little Johnny and then you can look good and you don't have to worry about it. So this was all something I kind of figured out by the end of my first year teaching. And by the end of my first year teaching, I thought that the education system was a a ship that was taking on water. And not just in Beaver, I mean everywhere. Like I, I thought that the education system nationwide was this ship that is sinking. Um, And I figured at the end of my first year, I was like, well, I can bail out water of the ship, at least in my little community. If I can keep bailing the water out, maybe I can keep my little community school afloat. I'm going to, and I decided after my first year, I'm going to focus on these kids that really want to learn. I'm going to help those kids out because we've got some really sharp kids. I, I had kids in my four years there that blew my mind how intelligent they were. Um, kids that were way more advanced and intelligent than I was at their age. And I wasn't, I'm not saying I was a really, really smart kid. I wasn't, but I, I was upper level. I wasn't a moron. And I taught kids that were way more intelligent than me. So I understood that my first year and said, okay, somebody at least needs to be looking out for these kids that have an opportunity to learn, to, to be great because they actually want to learn. But, um, second year starts and the accountability problems are are still there. And as it went on, I kind of started to notice that it wasn't just the bureaucratic kind of same old accountability problems. Um, it was more than that. I had, I had all these hoops I had to jump through when I got my emergency certification. Uh, they told me that I would have to take four different tests. I was going to have to take two different college courses 
And I had to do all that and I had to pay for it myself before I could get a, quote, real certification for teaching. So I've got to check all these special boxes for the state and pay the state money so that I can prove that I, you know, I know how to teach. And uh, the first test I took was called the OGET. I did not study for the OGET. I went in and I took it. It was very simple, general education stuff. There was a few kind of goofy political questions, which isn't a big deal. Like you're, That's kind of expected by this point. Um, and I passed it easy. I, I even got a perfect score on the writing portion. It was an easy test. Um, and then I had to take another test. And even though I was meant to teach English, the state wanted me to take the history OSAT. And this didn't make sense to me because I had a degree in history. And in fact, while all the history ed kids were taking, you know, slobbering education classes, I was in higher level classes than them. But the state wanted me to prove that I could pass the history test. And I'm pretty sure it was just a way to get an extra 150 bucks out of me. Um, Same thing with the history test. I didn't study. I went in. I sat down to take the test. And that history test that I took, the OSAT in Oklahoma, is where I really started to get pissed off at the public school system. The Oklahoma OSAT for history was a complete travesty and a joke of a test. I took the world history test. There were almost no questions at all about the most important figures of all of human history. The test had been cleansed of anything to do with Western civilization. There was almost nothing about the Greeks or the Romans. There was barely anything about Europe. Uh, God forbid anything connected to the history of the Christian church or any Christian figures. There's nothing about Martin Luther. There wasn't anything even about the printing press. Uh, nothing about the founding father, about the founding fathers or the Enlightenment. The, the whole thing was focused on obscure, politically correct bullshit, and it wasn't even trying to hide it. It was a political litmus test to measure the fealty to left-leaning, woke political ideologies. But, even though I didn't study, too bad for the whoever writes the Oklahoma OSAT, uh, too bad for them that I'm fluent in communist bullshit. So I passed that too. Um, and that was that was my first hint that the system itself was way more cancerous and corrupt than I had thought. Even in a tiny little rural community in the middle of nowhere, we're still beholden to these communist retards writing these tests in New York. The English test wasn't much better than that. And I, once again, took the English test. It was the same way. Like it, it, it didn't cover any of the big important aspects of Western literature. It was all, again, it was all PC bullshit. So the education system was a sinking ship. I was right about that. But, uh, the people piloting the ship, well, they are steering it right towards the iceberg and that's not great. So by by middle of year two, I'm I'm looking at that saying, okay, this is not good, but I guess I'll keep bailing water out of the ship. Um, 
so I by the end of the first and second year, I knocked out all the tests. The next thing they wanted was they wanted me to take a college course over classroom management and another college class over teaching theories. And they, again, I had to go pay for these college courses. This is my next problem. I didn't need either of these classes. I had no problems managing my classroom. I had managed grown-ups before. I had been a guard at a juvenile detention center. I'm a big 250-pound dude. I'm not having any problems managing high school kids. I had no discipline problems in my class. And as for teaching theories, I didn't I no thank you. I don't need them. The Socratic method works best and it has since ancient Greece. I don't need to hear what an education major has to say about that. Uh Teachers make teaching sound like this special skill that takes special preparations. And it's not. It's not a special skill. You'll notice that it's always the people who work for the government who need this, who need everybody to constantly tell them how special they are. Teaching is a job. You aren't special because you're a teacher, just like you aren't special because you're a cop, just like you aren't special because you're a firefighter, or hell, Even if you were in the military, it was a job you did. Your worth and your expertise should be gauged just like everyone else's is on a -a one-at-a-time basis. Are there teachers who are special? Absolutely. Of course there are. But the simple fact that you are one doesn't mean shit. I know cops that are intelligent and effective and awesome dudes. I also know some who can barely read and who can barely handle their sidearm. Uh, I know buddies who are in the military who are awesome employees and great teammates and were kick-ass operators overseas. I also know some of the goofiest tards you've ever met who were also in the military. Your job doesn't define who you are, your capabilities, your worth. Um, and if it does, if, if your job for you is the thing that defines who you are, you're doing something wrong. <sighs> All right, now... I think this comes from the fact that most teachers have never done anything outside of teaching. First, they went to school, then they went to college, then they student taught, then they became teachers. And again, before I go any farther and hurt people's feelings, there are some really good teachers that I know that fall into this category. And I'm not doing this podcast as as an attack on them. But, but... If you've never worked outside of the education and school system, you have a very skewed view of the real working world. And again, running the risk of pissing off all my teacher friends, uh, you're you're kind of stuck in an echo chamber of constant self and group aggrandizement. Everyone is constantly telling you how special and important and great you are And that can have a negative effect on how you view yourself and your profession. Teaching is not on the level of being a doctor or a lawyer or an entrepreneur or or even someone in a management position at a mid to large size company. It just isn't. It doesn't require the same level of education. It doesn't require the same level of sacrifice or skill or critical thought. It just doesn't. 
Um, but when teachers hear that, they get butthurt. And that is a natural human response. Uh, it's hard to blame anybody for that. Everyone wants to hear that they're special. And the problem is, in my opinion, teachers have heard that way too much. And it has turned public education into a bit of this, like I said before, this echo chamber of constant backslapping and self-congratulations. So, on to the next problem. Uh, I felt like, after all this, I felt like I could play the bureaucratic, politically correct games. I'd done that before. And I could just not participate in the circle jerk of self-congratulations. I could deal with that. Then all the COVID, all the COVID stuff started. And honestly, uh, my own county wasn't that bad. Beaver, Beaver was not bad at all about the COVID hysteria. But the, it was still there. There was a steady pumping of insane hysteria by the mainstream media and by the Democrat Party, and that was even pervasive in Beaver. People, people that I thought pretty much had their heads on pretty straight turned into, like, hysterics, thinking they were all going to die. And they shut down the school for an entire half the year. We still had to, like, we had to go online. We did online school. They shut down the school, but we had online school. But we weren't allowed to lower the kids' grades in online school. So we're going to still have school for the rest of the year, but you can't change the children's grade. Does anybody have a problem? Well, you can't lower the children's grade. Does anybody see a problem here? As soon as I heard this, I laughed out loud. Because guess how many kids did a damn thing for the rest of that year? Just put a number in your head. Uh, Out of, let's say, out of 80 kids, how many do you think actually did a damn thing? No, you're wrong. It was less than that. Um, These kids were put an entire year behind. Even my best students, even the best students I had, didn't do shit. Because they knew they didn't have to do shit. Because they knew everybody else wasn't going to do shit. And they knew there was not going to be any any reward for them if they did do it. Uh, nothing was learned that year. They, they graduated an entire class of seniors. And probably only... You, you could count on one hand how many, how many of them probably should have graduated. Uh, and the next year it really didn't get any better. I kept thinking, like, shit, people will surely start to calm down after a while, after a while, and then a year had passed. And then now, I mean, now we're in 2022, and people are still kind of on about it, or at least they were earlier in the year. Now things have kind of taken the place of. Um, this already bad problem that they had got immeasurably worse. The kids were basically ruined by it. Most, a lot of them, anyway. If there was no accountability before, now there was less than none. And so the majority of the kids that I dealt with, especially after COVID, 
the majority of them just did not want to learn. They don't want to learn. They didn't see it as useful. They didn't want it. They didn't think they needed it. Uh, They thought it was a waste of time. And that's not all of them. I'm saying most. And I, I mean most. There were several kids I had that still were into it, still wanted to learn. I'm not doing this podcast to crap on everybody. I'm doing this podcast to explain the problem. And there were still plenty of good kids, but they weren't the majority. Um, and I don't know. I had a lot of friends in high school that that uh, didn't really care about high school didn't really want to learn, didn't want to deal with it. And that's a pretty normal way for high school kids to feel. They don't want to work at anything because working at it is hard. And so they have to be made to work at it. But I did note it was way worse than it was when I was in high school in the early to mid kind of 2000s. And then it got way worse after all the COVID stuff. So not only did they not want to learn, it seemed like many of them haven't, hadn't learned for several years. Uh, my first year, I was shocked when I had kids read aloud in class. I had seniors in high school that were borderline illiterate. They could barely stumble through reading out loud. Um, it then only got worse from 11th grade down to 9th grade. Uh, I had a lot of ninth graders that were reading at a third and fourth grade level. They were reading third and fourth grade level books when I sent them to the library to get something. Uh, the 10th graders, were, most of them were probably on a seventh or eighth grade reading level or worse. And there were only a precious few juniors and seniors that had a high school reading level. Um, and there is no way for you as a teacher in a in a senior level let's say a senior level british literature class to make up for a kid who has literally chosen to do nothing for the past 8 years of their life this goes back to why we shouldn't just pass kids to get them through and i don't know i think that's president bush's fault originally with the no child left behind thing but uh this is a huge problem Lots of kids just get passed through the system. Everybody knows it. Ask any teacher you know, and if they're if they're honest to you, they will tell you, yeah, this happens all the time. Kids just get pushed on through. I've had kids that graduated who were barely literate because they just got pushed on through. And the, the refrain that I always heard was, well, you don't want them next year, do you? Um, the truth is that uh, there should be kids failing. Some children get left behind. And you can't stop it. And the more time you spend catering to them, the less you're doing for the kids who actually want to be there. So, whose fault is all this? Well, it's the parents. First off, um, that was my next thought. It's really the parents' fault for most of these little kids. um, Or the lack of parents, rather. I remember at one point I had a class of about 12 boys and something like two of them were living in a home with both of their parents. More than one of them was being raised by their grandparents. And that's when I, I mean, that was just when I saw it. There is the glaring problem, the real problem. It was society that was the problem. 
and I finally started to realize, slowly, that there wouldn't be any fixing it. Schools cannot raise kids. Teachers are not a substitute for parents. But more and more, parents are sending their kids to school, hoping the school is going to raise them. Instead, what happens is the kids start raising each other. And it is, it's Lord of the Flies in there, just without the pig's head on a stick. I'm not exaggerating. Um, when I was in school, my class was a, a pretty decent class. Our parents were, were farmers and ranchers and dentists and lawyers and bankers and businessmen. You know, middle, middle and upper middle class folks. Nuclear families, for the most part. And we all had similar foundations of right and wrong. Our parents drug us to church on Sunday, or most Sundays. There were a few outliers, but they weren't anywhere close to ma- the majority, uh, and they definitely weren't the you know the popular kids. Uh, there were a lot of kids, you know, drinking and having sex, but it was still somewhat taboo to be doing drugs. And most kids knew if they got caught, they'd be in some real trouble. Uh, the kids I've seen since I started teaching, or while I taught, they just, most of them, again, most, just did not fit the same mold as we did even in the early 2000s in rural America. The minority has become the majority in a single generation Most of these kids do not come from nuclear families. Most of these kids come from broken homes. Most of their parents are not middle class. They are lower class. And that's if they have parents at all. Most of them have no sense of a moral foundation. Their parents don't go to church. Neither neither do they. They don't even talk about morals. Um, I would say the majority of them are doing at least some sort of drugs. And mostly it's through vape pens. They're smoking THC, you know, weed pens. And if you don't think it's the majority, you're kidding yourself. Everyone knows there are kids dealing at the school. Um, I caught one of the kids, uh, one of the kids that everybody pretty much knew was dealing, uh, snorting powder in the bathroom one time. Um, That kid graduated and he couldn't even read. So, maybe worst of all, they know they're not going to face any real consequences for any of this. They were drug testing kids when I started at the school. And if they caught one, if a kid failed the test, the punishment was no more off-campus lunch for a couple weeks. (laughs) That was it. Um, They caught a kids a bunch of times at school, and and the worst thing they got was school support was uh, in school suspension while I was there. I think uh, I think one point there was some that got out of school, school suspension because they were literally caught dealing. Um, but uh, even when this happens, the parents and even people on the board are... They're almost more mad that the kids are getting in big trouble for it. It's almost like they don't really... They're covering for the kids... Um, and I saw that a lot. So by that point in my, in my teaching career, I thought, damn, 
not only is the education system this sinking ship being piloted by drunk communists toward an iceberg, there are also a lot of people on this ship that are blowing holes in the side of it while everybody else is trying to bail out water. So, finally, by my fourth year, looking at all of this stuff and thinking about it, I decided that I'm not going to invest any more time and money into taking some BS college courses that I don't need. Um, I'm not going to take any more of these political litmus tests masquerading as certification tests. Um, instead, I decided I was going to calmly step off this ship and onto my own little lifeboat. And I decided I was going to homeschool my daughter. I know just by doing that, it's it's going to piss people off. Friends of mine, uh, people in the community, uh, a lot of people working in the school just get mad about that. Um, but... I'm not, I didn't leave the school because I was pissed off about something at the school. Um, I didn't leave because I didn't like teaching. I'm only leaving, or I only left, because I truly believe that the situation is only going to get worse over the next 5 to 10 to 20 years. It has to get worse. Um, All these kids who are being raised by their grandparents, or by each other are going to have kids, then what happens when they don't want to raise them? Their own parents didn't want to raise them. You think they're going to raise their grandkids? Uh, Is the kid that's already smoking weed and snorting pills in high school going to turn into a really great productive member of society? Maybe, possibly, probably not. Um, Ask yourself, be, and be honest with yourself. Do you think society is going to get better or worse in the next 10 years? Do you think there's going to be more drugs or less drugs? Do you think that all the social media and pop culture is going to have a positive or a negative effect on the next generation? Um... Depending on what study you read, somewhere between 15 to 40% of Generation Z identifies as LGBTQ plus all that other stuff. Which I guess wouldn't be a big deal if it was just sexuality, but it's tied up with all this other far-left, anti-capitalism, anti-America, pro-communism movement. 15 to 40%. And if you think that it's just blue states and cities, you aren't paying enough attention to the trends that your kids are getting involved in. I have never had a high school kid tell me that they think drugs should be illegal. Almost all of them think they should be. I've almost never had a high school kid tell me that they disagree with the, the LGBTQ movement. Almost all of them think that it is a positive They get their news from BuzzFeed, Snapchat, and TikTok, and they think they're well-informed. There was a time where if you were homeschooling your kids, people would look at you as if you were like Amish or something, 
And homeschool kids were always thought to be kind of weird or overly religious or kind of strange. And we're moving toward a point in America where anyone who wants to instill any sort of Christian or conservative values in their children are going to have to get them out of the public education system. I wish this wasn't the case. But unless there's some sort of massive cultural shift, it's pretty much inevitable within the next generation or two. And people in rural America don't want to hear that, especially people who are, I would say people in their like uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, like to think that all of this crazy, insane cultural stuff is out there but not here. And then I see, you know, I have some of those people's kids in class, and I see how some of those people's kids come back from college. And all of a sudden, those guys, you know, those those Facebook dads who are like working class dads with sunglasses who post American flags and eagles and, and Trump stuff on Facebook, their kids are coming back from college with this deep ingrained leftist insanity and it's just hilarious to me that they can't see that they're allowing that to happen um the next i guess the last or not maybe not the last problem there's too many problems for me to number them all but another problem i see and this is kind of just parallel to all of this is we care way too much about sports and extracurricular activities in rural America. Uh, if there are parents who are involved in the school, because there are, I'm not saying there's no parents involved with the school and their kids, but it seems like the ones who are really involved, their number one care, their number one concern, the thing that they're investing all their time and effort into is sports and extracurriculars. And that's that's the thing that they think is the most important. Um, there's exceptions to this rule, of course, but you're talking about, I don't know, 10% or less, and that's me being generous. As an entire society, I feel like we have forgotten the purpose of a classical education there was a reason that early Americans read the classics written by the Greeks and the Romans. There was a reason that they could quote the Bible from memory. There was a reason they all knew their European history. There was a reason that they could write more eloquently than we can. There was a reason they were serious about Western civilization and learning from the past. And we have completely forgotten that reason as a culture, and as a society. Knowing that, understanding that, but still expects, expecting things to just get better doesn't make any sense. And that's why, that's why I'm planning for it. That's why I'm homeschooling my kid. If you're, if you're somebody who actually kind of understands all these things I said, and you, you, you've gotten to the point where you kind of know it, and you can... Let's be honest, you can feel it, you can see it, you, you know that what I'm saying about kind of the, the kind of decline of Western civilization, you can see it, you can feel it, and you know it's true. 
And if you know it's true, but you're still just kind of crossing your fingers and thinking things are going to improve, you aren't being honest with yourself. That's why I think that more people should homeschool because the, the, there is no way to fix society at large. And there's no way to fix the education system at large. Um, and when you tell people this, the, the thing I get told the most is like, oh, you are trying to hide your kid away. You're trying to like uh, lock, you're locking your daughter in a tower and you're trying to hide them from the world and it's going to backfire and it's going to ruin your kids and your kid's going to be crazy when they get out and yada, 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 yada. There's some truth to that. You can't lock your kids away in a tower and hide them from the world forever. That's the lesson in all those fairy tales and what the fairy tales are warning you against. You can't hide your kids from the big scary dragon. Children need to be taught the truth of history and morality and the human condition and evil. They need to be educated and prepared to contend with the world. Um, They don't need to be protected from that for all their lives. They need to be taught to slay that dragon that we're talking about. But that's just the point. The education system does not teach for the most part, the truth of history and morality and the human condition anymore. That isn't the stated goal of the people who are in charge of it. And most teachers just aren't doing it. Even the ones that are doing, even the ones that are doing it are, they're, they're just dealing with the kids who are willing to listen. Um, so don't, don't ask me, why I decided to homeschool my kid, you need to ask yourself why you haven't decided to homeschool your kid by now. Um, If you're somebody that's paying attention to this, because if you're listening to this, odds are you probably have kids or grandkids. And odds are, if you're listening to this, your kids are probably these good kids that I'm talking about. The good ones that are surrounded all day by the rest. And you know for a fact that the bad apples are not going to be removed from the environment. Both the community and the government have made it impossible to do that. So since you can't remove the cancer and rot from the school, you must remove your kid from the school. And you have to do this because the other argument I've heard is, oh, well, I'm going to send my kids to school so they can be a positive influence and they can raise... They can raise up the kids around them and be and be this shining light for all the downtrodden kids. I got news for you, ladies and gentlemen. That does not work. Um, your kid, your child, is not prepared for that to fight the entire weight of society and culture. That's like that's like sending your kid. That's like saying, okay, I'm going to send my kid to daycare at the crackhead's house. Because my kid will be a positive influence on the crackhead's kids and his family. You would never do that because that is insane. But it's the same principle saying, well, I've got to send my kids to school so they can be a positive impact on the rest of the kids. It doesn't work that way. Um, the, The other kids will pull your kid down. Your kid will not raise those other kids up. 
And I know that because I saw it firsthand. There, I, I have never seen the good kids kind of raise up all the bad kids to act better and pay attention and do their schoolwork. Never seen it. Not once in four years. What I did see, though, all the time was the bad kids, the bad actors, the ones that didn't care, the ones that brought down the energy of the room, the ones that never did anything. The good kids watched them and saw that they got away with not doing anything. And so, despite their best efforts, a lot of times they said, well, if little Johnny's not going to turn in his schoolwork, I'm just going to blow mine off too. And that's the truth. If you, if you don't want to hear it, I don't care. That's the truth. Because I saw it firsthand for four years. So, you know, maybe if you ignore me completely, maybe your kid is above it. Maybe your kid won't be affected by it. Um, if so, I ask you this. How often do you talk to your kid about morality? How often do you talk to your kid about the truth and history and philosophy and politics and common sense? How often do you actually sit down and talk with them at all about anything without either your nose in your phone or watching TV? Maybe your kid will make it through without being affected by it. Maybe your kid won't take up drugs, uh, even though most of his friends are. Maybe your kid is wise enough to differentiate between what is truth and what is lies and political nonsense. Maybe your kid will challenge themselves when the teacher's too busy uh, with the dum-dums to give them any attention. But do you want to bet your child and your child's future on that, on that many maybes? I don't, um, and that is why I decided finally that I'm going to homeschool. And I would like to see more families make that decision because I feel like a homeschool co-op, um, a smaller, more manageable kind of network of people could make something really great out of a, I don't know, I think that I think the greatest thing that could possibly happen is re- a return to the kind of one-room schoolhouse type schools where you have, you know, a network of families that all know each other and you have a small little one-room school where their children go and your kids are getting, you know who your kids are growing up with, you know who's teaching them, there is more control from you and the other parents in the network and less control from the insane bureaucratic nonsense of the government and the ridiculous kind of filth of cancer that is weaving its way into the bones of our civilization. Um, So that's what I hope. I, I, I... Long for a return to the one-room schoolhouse where where I can maybe get my kid with some other kids of families that I know, of people that I know, and we can kind of, I don't know, change. Because that's the only way you're going to positively affect your community is if you, you have your children isolated long enough to teach them right from wrong and to keep them away from all those bad things, and then, only then, 
are they able to be a positive impact on society? You can't just send your kid off to fight the dragon. You have to arm your child. You have to teach them how to fight. You have to give them armor and a shield and a sword and work with them until you know they are capable of contending. Only then can you send your kid out to face the the big old scary world. And if you haven't figured it out yet, the world that your kids are going to have to go face is going to be way more dangerous spiritually and physically and socially than the world that you dealt with. And that's something that nobody really wants to come to terms with because it's scary. Uh, but it is the truth. Um, if you are having children in these times, you need to start thinking about the things that you need to teach your children in order to insulate them from the darkness because it's out there. And that's what I'm going to leave you with. I will catch you guys next time on the Capo Podcast. Thank you for your time.